the number one thing I would say to parents is first zoom out. Okay. When we talk about things like fevers or any symptoms, whether it be cough or fever or anything, you've really got to zoom out. How does my kid look overall? Okay. This should be kind of, I think the overriding decision maker of whether or not you're going for help. Welcome back to the Talk Midland podcast. My name is Logan Ricchetti with Modern Realty, and my special guest today is my friend and pal, also uh, an emergency room medical doctor, or used to be an me- uh, emergency room doctor, but he's a, he's a doctor and he knows about the topics that we're going to discuss today. It's my friend, Dave Newcomb. Hello. Also uh, has been a friend of mine for a while, but also we've done some real estate transactions in the past. So we'll talk about a little bit of medical stuff today, a little bit of real stuff, real estate stuff, and then a little bit of life. I. I think we might have been one of your first clients way back in the day. Way back in the day. I think you were in the top five of my original clients, certainly uh, some of my favorite and most valued clients from the beginning. We did a lot of, uh, back in the day, you were investing in single family houses in and around Midland with a buddy. Correct. And my passion back then was investment real estate, residential Mm -hmm. investment real estate. So I don't know how we connected exactly, but I helped you buy a couple deals. Correct. Yes. You built More than a couple. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. I think at our peak, we were at 13. If it tells you how long ago it was, the first house was $12,000. Wow. <laughs> well, I've seen I you. I want it back. <laughs> I know. I know. You should have held on to it. I watched you and your partner uh, build up that portfolio and then eventually unwind it years later, a lot of it, for m- much, much more than you bought it for, which was very interesting. And, you know, when you buy a piece of real estate, obviously your goal is for it to go up and then eventually you're going to sell it for a profit. Sometimes uh, things that happen in life dictate when you buy and sell and trade real estate. So a lot of it's timing, a lot of it's just luck and a lot of it's just, you know, what season of life you happen to be in at the time. But I remember watching some of those sales because I helped my office and I helped you and your partner unwind some of those sales and you did really well. We did pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Also helped you with a couple of your primary residences, actually bought a house from you. You did. Yeah. 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 Swooped in in the final hour <laughs> before it even got listed. I love real estate, but I want to talk about my kiddos today a little bit. Um, okay. You know, I got Finley's four, <clears throat> almost five. Her sister Elena's the same age. And then we have Lenora, who's a baby, six or seven months old now. And over the last 12 months, there's been nothing but sickness, Correct. Rot- rotating sickness. Everybody takes their turn as a parent in that season of life. There's probably nothing worse than seeing your child sick and not being able to help your child. And as a doctor, both in an emergency room setting and in regular clinical practice, you've seen many, 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 many kids sure. sick. For sure. It's, it's matter of fact for you. You, you, you know, you're very objective because they're not your children and you're doing your job. But when a, you know, when a distraught parent comes in either to an emergency room or to just, you know, a doctor visit, um, there's so much emotion involved in that. Absolutely. Finley, uh, got sick just like they all do. And her temperature started to rise. Okay. You know, we have this little clicker. It's, you know, red, yellow, green. She always laughs about wanting to be in the green, you know, with her tr- thermometer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we always check her temperature. If it's green, then she's in the green. You know, if it's yellow, it's okay, Dad. I'm in, I'm just in the yellow. And if it's in the red, then you know it's over over a hundred. <laughs> red alert. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I I haven't seen this version. I already don't like it. But okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we can get into that too. 
But you know, at this point, I can tell by just touching <clears throat> touching the forehead what sure. the temperature. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when a child is sick, I don't know about you, but I always choose to you know stay close to them at night and usually sleep with them or bring them in the bed or check on them over and over again just because I'm a little hyper conscious of you know sure sickness. And of course, because I'm a newer parent, so I'm still getting the hang of this. But you know, I watched her temperature rise from 100 to 101 to 102 to 103. And at some point, you know, when you get to 101, 102, 103, you start talking about uh, Motrin, Tylenol. Sure. And then, and then it comes down to, you know, whether you should do that or whether you shouldn't, how many milligrams you should give them, how often, or milligrams, right. is it a milligram? Milligrams, yeah. correct. And then also, you know, at what point, if this temperature rises to a certain level, do you take further action, escalate, you know, into an emergency room or calling the doctor or what? Now, I don't know what to do. Google tells me a bunch of things. Sure. Paternal and maternal instincts tell you a bunch of things. But generally speaking, how do you make that determination? The determination of when to seek medical care? Yeah. There's a lot of components there. Okay. Um, You know, we could probably break it down into different elements. But right now, let's just talk about fever. Okay. Because that's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear anything else. I heard you saying Finn is playing with their thermometer, you know, laughing, telling you if you're in red, yellow, or green. Mm-hmm. The number one thing I would say to parents is first, zoom out. Okay? When we talk about things like fevers or any symptoms, whether it be cough or fever or anything, you've really got to zoom out. How does my kid look overall? Okay. This should be kind of, I think, the overriding decision maker of whether or not you're going for help. Not an emergency, we need help situation, but seeking an opinion, seeking medical care. If at any time you're super worried, you think, my kid doesn't look good, Mm -hmm. I'm concerned, obviously go, okay? So a lot of people want me to say, when the temperature reaches, pick the number, 103, 105, you must go seek medical care. Mm-hmm. That's not not always the case, okay? Overall, the number one thing should be zoom out, how's my kiddo doing? You know, and I don't I don't know specifically what Finn had, but I'm guessing it was a viral illness. And you know that number gets high, they can get a little punky, take some Tylenol, take some ibuprofen, and they're bouncing off the walls and playing. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a that's a good sign. So, the number one thing I would say is number first, don't focus so much necessarily on a number a specific symptom, zoom out, how's my kiddo look, okay? If at any time you're really worried or you think something's not right here, just go. Mm-hmm. That's what we're here for, you know? Pediatricians are there during the day. Urgent care were there during the day. ER is 24-7. You may have some wait times if it's off hours in the ER, but if you're worried, go. It may take some time. You may wait, but it's worth it. I've heard almost that exact same advice. Now looking, zooming out, I've heard this and this is kind of what I'm learning because at the time when you're in the trenches of this 103, 104, you're just very scared. Sure. You think of the worst case scenario, you're thinking, you know, is it going to get worse? Is it going to get better? But one of my main struggles with it was putting her to bed. Maybe she's at 102 and she's climbing. Maybe her temples are 103. She's very hot. Sure. She doesn't feel great. She's not complaining. She's, she's still herself, but you could tell, you know, she's, run down and beat down a little bit because she's sick. But I always will give her either a Motrin or a Tylenol right before she falls asleep. Mm-hmm. My concern is what happens in the middle of the night if it really starts to rise? And it did. 
So Finn's, Finn's fever at six in the morning, this, this particular round hit 105.7 <clears throat> and I didn't know what to do. Obviously I hit her with Motrin right away, Right. but it was that level as a parent you have, I think a lot of us have this balance between, Hey, we want to do what's best for our kid and take care of our kid. Right. And, but we also don't want to overreact and create yeah. trauma. Like going to the ER in the middle of the night is traumatic for any it child. Is. It is hundred percent. Any time of the day. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. It's sure. a it's a varied crew there, um, and you you got to wade through some yeah some some pieces of humanity that are that are tough. I do I do think, and I I will go to my deathbed thinking this. Like you said, when in doubt, take them because yes, the worst case scenario is you go in there and they slap them on the butt and they send them out of there. But what they do is they check they check for some things, right? Yeah, correct. I mean. Even, you know, I, I, I think when a lot of folks bring a kid in, um, you know, there, you said there's a lot of emotions, there's a lot of frustration. They want us to do something. Yeah. <laughs> and if they don't walk out with that, pres- you know, four different medicines and discrete instructions that if X or Y happens, you must do this, mm-hmm. sometimes they feel like nothing was done. Sure. When in fairness, um, it's watching the kid. You know, when a kiddo comes in, you know, well, now I know what their heart rate is. Mm-hmm. I know their respiratory rate. I know their oxygenation status. They got a bad cough. I know, well, boy, are they really struggling? Is their oxygen level low? You know, uh, we don't check blood pressures a lot in little ones, but in, in older kids we do. So just with a set of numbers, we have things available to us that you may not at home that help to fill in those pieces of the puzzle. Yes. We're also looking at them. We're looking at their level of interaction. We're looking at the way they're breathing. Uh, both the rate and the compliance of their chest wall, you know, is it kind of caving in? Are they struggling? So there's a lot of things that are happening that I can spend even as little as 30 seconds with a kid and get a pretty good sense of how they're doing, their perfusion, their breathing, all of these things. So it's not that we're not doing anything. There's just a lot going on that you're maybe as a parent not aware of. Right. Yeah, that's exactly what they did when we brought Finn in. They checked her oxygen levels. They checked... Uh, her breathing, they checked her pulse and they also ran a couple tests for COVID and, and pneumonia and things like that. And then, you know, for me leaving the ER in this particular circumstance, I felt a lot better about, sure. you know, the dad status. So, okay, she's sick. She's got a fever. Um, the doctor advised us maybe to raise the milligrams a little bit if needed. Mm-hmm. That was something they, they offered as an alternative. And, and I got a little education too, from the doc, which was nice where he was basically saying, look, the fever is going to run its course. The fever is fighting the virus. And really you're using the Motrin and the Tylenol more for comfort and pain, you know, and, and, you know, discomfort reduction for the child rather than, you know, major life threatening problem. Right. Correct. So, you know, fever in and of itself is not necessarily bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're dealing with programming thousands of years old that have designed us to develop a fever to help, potentially create an environment in our body that's not hospitable to viruses and bacteria. Yeah. So a fever in and of itself is not a bad thing. There, you know, there probably are some hard and fast cutoffs. And I think that's probably one thing you're looking for. And I, w- I would say Finn was probably flirting with that number. Would you say 105.7? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I would agree. That's getting up there. Once you get above 105.8 and higher, 
Um, I think some of the highest documented fevers are all the way up to 107. Um, it, it's pretty rare for us to see things above 106. But once you are approaching that 106 and higher, that's not a number you want to be at for a prolonged period of time. You know, the body has various process, chemical process that function optimally within a range of temperatures. And once you're kind of getting up around that 106, that's when things start to get affected. And I would say that's definitely an area where you're redlining it. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, this fall in particular, I we don't even know what virus it is. There was a virus, not flu, not COVID, you know, not strep, which is a bacterial infection that was kind of going through town that mm-hmm. we saw a lot of kids with 106 temperatures. Hmm. And it was interesting. Uh, a good number of them looked fantastic. Now, you know, in the ER and urgent care and even in clinics, we don't necessarily have the ability to test for the big respiratory or virus panels that are available. Kids that get admitted to ICUs or the hospital sometimes will get these big panels. They're very expensive. They are not for everyday use. Um, but there are viruses, and there was one going around town just this fall, really high fevers, but kids doing pretty well with it mm-hmm. overall. Again, zoom out. Um, but if you're at the 104, sixth level, you should be treating. And I think it probably does deserve an evaluation. There's one other caveat, though, I would say. We have to, there are some special groups, okay? And the most important special group when it comes to fever is kids under three months old, okay? Kids under three months don't necessarily show a lot of overt symptoms, nor do they have a robust immune system to fight off serious bacterial infections. So if you have a kid under three months, regardless of the temperature, if they have a fever, you should be speaking to the pediatrician, getting seen by them, urgent care or ER for an evaluation. Kind of let it go at at that. You know, the, the professionals will take over, they'll do testing, examine the kiddo, you know, see what's going on and if more aggressive testing is needed. But the under three months, is a vulnerable population where you, where you do want to be careful, okay? Mm-hmm. You don't want to necessarily ride it out because at that age, they're just very unpredictable and they just don't have robust immune systems. So I would say if I'm going to talk about fevers in general, if you're getting up around 106, that's probably a definite evaluation at any age. Or if you're a kid under three months, any fever should be an evaluation at any age. Beyond that, it's okay. It is not dangerous to have a fever of 101, 102, 103, 104. This is what our body does. Well, if you're at 102, 103, 104, and your body is healing, your body is fighting a virus, Mm -hmm. is it optimal to give Motrin or Tylenol, or is it better not to? Are there any downsides or drawbacks to doing it? So, you know, just as the, the, the doc, you spoke, to alluded to, I, I think one of the main benefits is comfort of the child. And what I mean by that is probably one of the biggest things you run into with kids when they get really sick is kind of their hydration status. Mm-hmm. They don't feel well mm-hmm. or they don't feel well and they have that terrible sore throat. Mm-hmm. What are they not going to do? Eat They're not going to eat. Yeah. They're not going to drink. And although it's okay for them to have a diminished appetite and not take much food, we want to keep them hydrated. 
that's where they get into real trouble. They start to get dehydrated and then it puts a little more stress on their body. So I think it is a good idea to treat uh, a fever from that standpoint, because I want that kid to be feeling good that they're taking in fluids. They're staying hydrated. They're not taxing their cardiovascular system so much. They're soothing their throat with a little, you know, cool liquids. They are thinning the secretions that they're dealing with from this upper respiratory infection. So there's a lot of downstream benefits. The temperature itself, you know, I don't know that there's anything that says a kid's going to do better from an illness recovery standpoint if their temperature is 102 versus 100. Um, but boy, we sure know that if hydration status is, is good, everybody's going to do better. Does it prolong the recovery if you tamp down the fever? No. You know, and I think that's one of the other things. If folks are, they'll have a, a little one that's ill at home or running that fever and feeling terrible, and they come and see us and they say, well, we didn't want to mask the fever when we got here. Like, we're not going to believe them. If your kid has a fever at home, we believe you. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. That is a you good You don't point. have to mask it. No, that's a real concern for parents. Yeah. I felt that same way. Yeah. It's almost like, come on, come on, Finn, show me you have a fever, yeah. you know, yeah. because yeah. you don't want to feel like an idiot that you brought your kid in. And now they just hit 98 because you just gave them a Motrin. An I can't ago. tell you how many kids I see <laughs> that were probably looking terrible at home yeah. and they get in the bright, shiny lights yeah. and all the bing bongs and the little <laughs> things blipping here and there. And they're fascinated and they're, they're just happy as a clam. Yeah. Um, whereas 30 minutes ago at home, they were on death's door. But All right, I got a question for you as a dad because uh, I have a hard time getting Finley to take her medicine. Did you have that problem with any of your kids? Well, I don't think so. Well, mine is special. She's yeah. very strong-willed, yeah. and I love that. I've, I raised her that way. Yeah. I raised her that way, but um, she almost has a phobia about uh, taking her medicine, and either in a syringe or in a cup, it's very difficult to get her to take it. I have a, sure. lot, of, a lot of friends that I've heard from have a similar issue. Mm-hmm. Um, her mom is really good at getting her to take it. She's a little bit more... <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's, that's where, you know, I have to give props to the kid's mom for sure. Yeah. Um, although I would probably be at work and get the phone call. Hey, we have this symptom at home. Can I give this medicine? Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't on the delivery end. Gotcha. Well, I'm not very good at it. And, uh, I have learned that I sometimes even, you know, like bribing them with a little piece of chocolate or whatever I got to do. Yeah. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But you know, even this morning, for example, Finn's getting, drops in her ears right now for an ear infection Mm -hmm. and she just does not want to take them yeah and she makes it a big deal and i have to sit with her and i gotta hold her and we gotta wait till she's ready and try to do the gentle parenting thing but you know last night i just waited till she fell asleep and i just popped them in her ear because great you know it just wasn't the juice wasn't worth the squeeze you know yeah well it's good to know you didn't have that problem i do yeah (laughs) yeah well and i mean i mean I don't have any good tricks. I mean, each kid is different. I'm watching Elena. She's got the same problem. You go click, click, Sometimes it's brute force. Yeah. Yeah. I try not to, I try (laughs) not to do that. What are some other concerns and things that a young parent with young toddler age children should be on the lookout for? Well, you know, I think uh, overall is, as I said, the the number one thing we run into is probably hydration status. Um, So let's zoom out. Under three months old, fever, illness, go in, get an evaluation, or at least make sure you're speaking to, to a professional. I like the near 106 degrees, go in, seek evaluation. You know, beyond that, hydration status. So, you know, what are their lips looking like? Okay, are they getting dry? What is their 
inside their mouth looking like? Are they, is their tongue getting a little dry? Are they having persistent vomiting? If they're still in diapers, are they still having wet diapers? Or has it been 12 hours since we've had any kind of wet diaper? Um, you know, kind of their color and overall activity. And then especially with the lungs, breathing. You know, there's there's findings when you look at the chest, especially in younger kids, of uh, something called retractions, where when they take a deep breath, things actually cave in rather than expand out. Or belly breathing, you'll see the belly kind of pooching out as they're breathing. Or nasal flaring, the nostrils getting bigger. You know, these are signs that kids can be, have some degree of respiratory distress from, you know, a virus and or pneumonia or bacterial infection. So we need to be looking for that stuff? That stuff, yeah. You know, I think an, a, a, another thing, every parent's going to go through that season where their kids are just sick for months, it seems like. Yeah. We just finished this one. Now we're in the next one. It's funny you mentioned ears. It seems like the, the progression for a lot of kids, my own included, was, you know, we have that season of viral illnesses. And then what happens? Well, then we get all these secondary ear infections, and then we wind up with ear tubes and perforated eardrums. You know, one, one thing is, is your kids deal with these viruses. Um, be on the lookout, even if you see a doc and they say, you know, everything looks fine, viral illness, nothing to do here, no antibiotics. Keep watching for what we would call localizing signs. And what I mean by that is you got a kid with nonspecific symptoms, you know, a little bit of runny nose, maybe a little bit of cough, a little bit of fever, but then they say, hey, my ear really hurts now. Mm-hmm. So something's changed there, okay? Mm -hmm. And what we're always looking for is doctors. The vast majority of these illnesses are viral, and it's just supportive care, fluids, Tylenol, you know, ibuprofen. But what we're looking for is any signs of a secondary bacterial infection that needs antibiotics. That ear starts hurting like crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll see kids, and they'll say, well, they were just seen by a doc, and they said nothing was wrong with them. And look, now they have an ear infection. Well, that probably popped up you know, in the last couple of days. So if your kid develops a new localizing thing, or maybe they got, they've had a cough, but then they start really complaining of either belly pain or pain in their chest or in their back, it might be because they're actually developing a pneumonia. Maybe they need an x-ray. So if you see a new symptom pop up that's local to an area, that probably warrants a, re, uh, a repeat evaluation as well. That's very interesting to me. And I wonder, do some of those symptoms, like you said, they can create... Other problems like an ear infection? Correct. I mean, I think the vast majority of kids we see with ear infections, it's not just an ear infection. Mm -hmm. uh, ear infections usually happen on the tail end of an upper respiratory virus that has all the mucosa and everything inflamed. Things aren't draining properly. Yes. And then a few days later, you get a secondary ear, ear infection. So, you know, often I'll, I'll, I'll see parents whose kid probably has a upper respiratory viral illness that I don't have a cure for. But mm -hmm. I also see an ear infection, so we give them the antibiotic. And I warn them, listen, we're treating the ear infection. Understand, they're still going to have a cough. They're probably still going to have a fever because we're treating the secondary bacterial infection. We've done nothing for this you know, underlying virus that kicked all of this off. Anytime we go into the ENT doc, they look in the ears and they know within one, one, one look Correct. Infected, infected. So it must be very easy to diagnose because it's right there. You can see it. Mm -hmm. They always diagnose some kind of antibiotic, right? Use your drop or a pill, whatever. And a couple of days later, it's gone. 
just a weird question for you. What happens if you don't get antibiotics? Do your ear infections go away on their own? Some will. Uh, in, in fact, the, um, you know, the, the pediatricians have found that actually, if you look in an ear and say, hey, it's infected, you actually can give it two, three days to see if it starts to clear uh, on its own. So you don't have to pounce on it, jump on it uh, immediately. But, you know, everybody's a little bit different, particularly kids with recurrent ear infections. Mm-hmm. Um, you're probably going to be a little little more aggressive with those kiddos. Okay, we got one of those. Just, just did the tubes thing. Yep. And, uh, you know, that was, in hindsight, was a very in-and-out procedure, outpatient, outpatient yeah. Yeah. surgery, no big deal. Yep. Incredibly stressful and scary at the time. You know, mm-hmm. you're laughing because you do it every day, but, you know, just the idea of um, the gas, what do you call that, uh, anesthesia. Sure. Tell me how that, tell, what, what, are the, what are the risks of having a four-year-old going under for a short procedure? And should I have been worried about that or not? I can't tell you not to worry as, <laughs> as a parent. I mean, I, I think we always, as parents, catastrophize, worst case scenario. Yes. We run through these things in our head. Um, but, you know, we've, we've got wonderful teams here locally. And these are things that are tried and true, mm-hmm. very proven. You can never guarantee 100%, you know, there's not going to be some sort of adverse outcome. But these are things that we do every day nationwide Mm -hmm. and have a really strong safety record. You know, the other question you could ask is, okay, so what's the alternative, right? What's the alternative uh, getting tubes? Boy, there's risk associated with that. Well, what are the risks with terrible, purulent bacteria constantly in the middle ear that then can spread to the mastoid cells, which is near the brain, you know? Mm -hmm. So there are other, you know, it's, everything's a risk benefit scenario. Um, but I can't ever tell you as a parent not to worry. Well, I agree with that. Everything in life is a risk-benefit scenario. And when you're making health decisions for your child, you're trying to weigh the benefits and the risks of both. Sure. Um, some parents are very averse to medical interventions. Sure. Some parents default to them right away. Yep. And I don't think there's a right or a wrong. I think it's a matter of your own personal instinct. Right. What you think is right. But I do find it interesting trying to weigh the, the benefits and the cons of each strategy, each outcome. It's, you know, it's just like vaccines. It's just like a lot of yeah. other stuff. There are benefits and risks to both decisions, and it's hard. I think that's what I've learned in the last couple of years. It's very hard to try to make the right, most informed decision and balance that with your partner and balance that with your own instincts sure. uh, when trying to do what's best for your kid. It's hard, but I appreciate you helping us try to figure that out a little bit. Yeah, but but I think that's where you, you want to have. You know, I think one of the difficult things for me in the environment that I've worked in, you know, almost two decades now is, um, you know, especially in ER, uh, I don't necessarily know the folks that are in the room, meaning I don't have a long-standing relationship with them. And mm-hmm. just as you alluded to, there are some sort of medical minimalist and medical. Mi- maximalist sort of having a good open dialogue and trying to understand where that parent is coming from Mm -hmm. and working within their parenting style and addressing their concerns um, in a way that's both respectful of whatever style they choose and best for the kid. And usually that involves a really good dialogue, being open and 
spending a little bit of time in, in addressing fears, concerns, thought process. So I agree. I, I so totally you got to have a good team, a good doc that you can have a good relationship and dialogue with. How important is it to have a pediatrician and do those visits periodically? That's, that's pretty important to build that relationship with a doc to have Oh, that. I think so. hundred percent. Yeah, I do. hundred percent. They do, do a wonderful job. Yeah. And we've got great ones in our community. I mean, really, we're really blessed in that in that realm. I wish we had more, but the ones we've got are are wonderful. What is what is Midland uh, lacking in terms of medical medical s- scenarios like that? Do we have are we short on pediatricians? Do we have what are we really what are we good at? What do we struggle with? Generally, we, we have the same problem as the entire nation does right now. I mean, there's just a shortage of uh, of primary care providers, and primary care, primary care providers means pediatricians, family practice, internists. Mm-hmm. We need more and more and more of those because um, as they're out there, they raise the health level of the population. They also take good care of people, and they keep people out of the urgent cares, the emergency rooms, which is if you've gone to an emergency room and, and, and had a big long wait, it's because nationally we have a big shortage of primary care providers. Mm-hmm. And what happens is those folks that maybe could be getting their needs and concerns addressed at that primary care level then have to devolt to the ER, to urgent cares. Those get overwhelmed. It taxes the whole health system. So we're not unique here in our community that we need more and more primary care providers. We have an excellent, excellent group of doctors here and, um, and PAs and nurse practitioners that are doing that, but we, we could always use more. And what, what do you look for when you're trying to find a, a doctor? Mm-hmm. And obviously availability is a big one because there's a shortage, but sure. what kind of questions do you want to ask your doctor when you're trying to decide if they're the right fit for your family? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a very personal vibe uh, because it, in this area within the health systems here, if there's a provider, y- you can be assured they're, they're, they're vetted. Mm-hmm. They came from quality programs. They're going to be high caliber. They're going to be making very good decisions. So I don't want to tell you not to think about that, but like we have a very good health system in this area that does that and takes that portion out of it for you. Beyond that, I think it's personal style. Who can you have a good dialogue with? Who do you, you know, vibe with respect? Mm-hmm. Who do you feel like you can bring up tough questions with? And and they can give you the time to, to, to give you the answer that you need. Finn, nobody, none of my kiddos have had any kind of, um, skeletal problems like bones or anything like that. Mm-hmm. No broken bones, no stitches yet. Knock mm-hmm. on wood. I had stitches four times as a child. I was a nutcase <laughs> and Finn's kind of crazy nutcase too. So she'll probably eventually get knocked into a wall or something. But when it comes to something as simple as stitches, um, is that something that happens in the ER? Um, for the most part, uh, urgent cares, uh, they'll do that too. Yeah. Urgent cares. We, we, we do that as well. And then, uh, ERs, not so much in, regular, regular clinics. So I think probably, you know, if it seems pretty reasonable and minor, mm-hmm. urgent care is a great choice. Um, you're probably going to have a much lower wait time, but, mm-hmm. uh, if it seems disastrous, extreme ER is always there. And of course ER and off hours. So then if you, if you come in with a cut and it needs stitches, mm-hmm. they're going to sit you down. They're going to clean, clean it. <clears throat> they're going to give a local anesthetic. 
typically, like a, a shot? Correct, yeah, yeah. Is it always a shot still at this point? Well, uh, so a, there's a couple of exceptions to that. You know, if there's something on the scalp, say, and it's very tiny, uh, the scalp's pretty insensate. It's not super sensitive. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you can poke yourself there and it doesn't hurt too bad. And the scalp, you can staple. So if it's a matter of huh. two quick staples, a lot of times I won't even do anesthetic. I'll warn folks or give them the choice. Hey, I can numb you up. It'll be two shots that hurt more than two quick pinches and we're done. So, but yeah, local anesthetic uh, with the exception being if it's really, really minor, then it may not be needed. Second issue is there are some topicals, mm-hmm. um, particularly useful in, in kiddos who aren't going to respond well to shots um, that you can just simply put in the wound. Um, it has both an anesthetic and a vasoconstrictor agent. Um, so there's not much blood in the field. And you put that on with a cotton ball and within about 15 minutes, they're good to go. How important is it really to wash your hands? I think it's very, very important. Yeah, very important. Um, a lot of these illnesses are caused by transmission from person to person, you know, washing your hands. You know, I think people, the one thing people don't realize is they rub the corner of their eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these things uh, are, are, are what transmit a lot of these viruses and, and infections from person to person. So wash your hands, keep your fingers out of your eyes as well. That's a hard one when you really think about it. I, r- I rub my eyes all the time, not even thinking about Do it. Do you? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, stop. Yeah. Yeah. Stop. And you know, when you remove contacts from your eyes, sometimes you get a little connection. I do that every night and put mm-hmm. them in every morning. So yeah, yeah that's tough. Uh, the girls are really good about using hand sanitizer after mm-hmm. they go to the bathroom. Is that just as good or is that better or worse? I, about the same? You know, I don't know comparison, but you know, we have hand sanitizers everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, e- either or are pretty good. Yeah. As long as you're doing it over yeah. and over again. Same thing with brushing teeth two, three times a day. Try to get those kids to brush every morning and then every night. But you know, it's tough. <laughs> so what is your personal and professional background in Midland? Um, so I grew up in the Sanford area, went to uh, Meridian High School, uh, did a couple years at Delta College, um, and then transferred down to University of Michigan, got an undergraduate degree in microbiology and immunology. Um, I did quite a bit of immunology research uh, for several years, both as an undergrad, uh, took some time off uh, after undergrad continued to do some of that research and work in the lab, and then um, went into medical school again at the University of Michigan and continued research in immunology for about uh, the first three years of medical school. And after that, things get a bit hectic to, uh, a bit too hectic to do both. So um, that's uh, vaccine research? Uh, no, or, not or? vaccine. Um, basically, immunology is how the body responds to fighting off, you know, infections, viruses, bacteria. Um, And um, after that, uh, then, uh, you know, as part of medical school, you go through all your various rotations. And my problem was I kind of loved them all. Hmm. Um, And uh, so I chose emergency medicine and uh, was fortunate enough to stay on and do my residency at University of Michigan in emergency medicine for four years. And then after that... uh, uh, came home, practiced uh, emergency medicine for 16 years, and uh, now I'm getting a little bit older. Nights got a little tougher and uh, looked to wind down a little bit, a uh, little bit lower stress job. Now I'm now I'm working in urgent care, so I work primarily day shifts, a little bit lower acuity, and uh, it's been a nice change. But I did my time in, in the pits. My uncle 
was an emergency room surgeon. And so we always looked up to him and idolized him in the early days with his capabilities and skills and his intellect. But I remember he needed to decompress a lot. He needed to unwind after his shifts. And I've noticed, I don't know if you do that or if you have that need, but I noticed that you have some hobbies that are, that align with decompression and maybe getting out of your head a little while. Yeah. I mean, uh, certainly I, I find myself having to do that a lot less since I laid down the emergency room. Um, um, but yeah, I, I, I do a lot of, uh, outdoor activities. Um, I'm a big hunter and uh, fisherman, mm-hmm. um, which was why losing the lakes was very difficult for me. That, uh, yeah. that was, mm-hmm. a, that's a big part of my identity. And, uh, you know, like many folks around here, it all got washed away one day uh, in the spring during COVID. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's uh, those are I, I tend to get away away from people um, and away from alarms and dinging. And uh, yep. I like I like my quiet time. I like a fire and I like to be outdoors. I think I was more referring to your glass building, your glass uh, what, what, what is that called? So stained glass. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I do a bit of stained glass as well. Incredible um, stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, I love it. You know, I think w- one of the things that took me a long time to realize is, you know, I think everybody needs to be creative in some way. And, you know, for some people, uh, that means that's different for everybody. Uh, for me, uh, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy some kind of art. And I think there's also a lot of creativity and a lot of outdoor pursuits. But, you know, for other people, maybe that's building a business and, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. But I think no matter what we do for a living, all of us have to have some sort of creative outlet. Because um, I, I think that's what we're all about. I think it's central to everyone. And you just got to find your, your own. But for me, it's been, you know, one of the things is stained glass. I, I enjoy doing that. I, I haven't done it as much as I would like to. Um, but, uh, I got a really nice studio and, um, I'm looking forward to getting back into it a little heavier this winter. Real estate is great. Helping people buy and sell houses is great, but it's not God's work. You know, it's real estate brokering of transactions. You help people there. There is some, certainly some service in that, but being a medical doctor, being a surgeon, being an, an emergency room, you know, doctor helping hundreds and thousands of people feel better. I have to imagine there's some kind of fulfillment that you've got from that. Yeah, you know it, it. It is. You know, it. You end up having so many individual occurrences over that long of a time span. They almost all blend and merge and, and get lost a bit. Um, there certainly have been some sort of procedural wins, I guess, where you take an action and you have an amazing outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, someone's life is saved that day. Yeah. The, those are fewer than sure. than you might think, but you know it's it's funny. Those aren't the ones that I actually really hold on to and remember. Hmm. the The ones I've always held on to, and I I, I can think of one right now, um, are the ones that actually didn't result in a win. It was more being a really compassionate, thoughtful, and present person, human being for maybe a patient and a family member Mm -hmm. as they passed. Mm -hmm. Um, There's, there's no win there in the outcome, Yeah, but the thanks I probably got from cases like that um, were just 
vastly superior to maybe the procedural wins or the diagnostic wins. Mm-hmm. You know, you caught that one in a million. Um, and those I'll, I, I think I'll always hold on to in uh, above all else. Well, thank you for two decades of service. <laughs> thank you. I'm still going. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for being a friend. Thanks for being a real estate client. Thanks for being a guest on the Talk Midland podcast. All right. Thank you.